0: section forty five of chapters on evolution by andrew wilson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter sixteen geology and evolution part two the question of the general succession of life on the earth's surface presents an important series of considerations to the evolutionist view in this latter study it is interesting to note the theory of descent finds increased support Admitting to the full the great breaks which exist in the continuity of the rock formations comprising the crust of the globe, blank periods which in no way militate against the correctness of evolution, we still possess data of sufficient accuracy and extent to determine for us the general order in which life has been developed on the Earth's surface. The further back we pass in the history of the rock formations, the fewer are the resemblances we can detect to living animals and plants occasionally we meet with certain forms which seem to have persisted from the earliest times and without material change to the present day such are certain of those shellfish named brachiopods and also many of the foraminifera these have survived from a period so far back as the silurian epoch and appear before our eyes today as living forms in essentially the same guise as their fossil representatives. Such examples of unaltering life have already been shown in the chapter on degeneration to be perfectly consistent with the doctrine of evolution. They represent species whose surroundings remain the same today as of yore, and whose tendencies to change are therefore practically non-existent. A glance at the table of rock formations already given will show that time past has been divided by the paleontologist into three great periods, insofar as the development of life is concerned. Thus, the rocks from the Laurentian, or oldest of the fossil-bearing series, to the Permian are collectively named Paleozoic, or ancient life, formations. Those from the Trias to the Chalk form the Mesozoic, or middle life, period, whilst the rocks from the Chalk to the soils of today collectively form the Canozoic, or recent life, period. It is a matter of the most elementary study in geology to discover that the fossil animals and plants of the Paleozoic period are most unlike the existing life of the globe. The fossils of the Mesozoic rocks approach more nearly in character to the animals and plants around us, although also including many very divergent forms. In the Canozoic rocks, on the other hand, we meet with a far larger proportion of fossils belonging to living or recent species. Broadly speaking, then, there has been a gradual development of life from forms unlike those around us today towards the existing life of the globe, but geology goes much further in its interpretation of the past life of our globe. There has been represented, in addition, a distinct development of higher from lower life as the ages have progressed. There have been progression and advance, as well as mere succession towards the likeness of existing life. If we turn to the oldest rocks, we find the fossils to include only those of low or primitive animals and plants. It is only as we pass to the newer rocks that we find traces of higher life. If we select any class of animals or plants, we do not discover, as would be expected if the theory of special creation were true, that all ranks and stages in that class appear simultaneously in the fossil record. On the contrary, the lower forms invariably precede the higher. Fishes, as the lowest vertebrates, thus precede other members of their type in time. The oldest fossil fishes occur in the upper Silurian rocks, and it is not until we arrive at the newer coal measures that we find the succeeding and higher class, that of the frogs or amphibians represented. In the deposits, Permian, above the coal, the still higher reptiles first occur. Birds make their first appearance in the Mesozoic rocks, and the oldest mammals or quadrupeds are also of mesozoic age what holds true of vertebrate development applies also to the appearance of life at large on the earth's surface where the fossil evidence that the lower members of a class appear before the higher seems doubtful the discrepancy must be referred to that imperfection of the fossil record which constitutes an impassable barrier to our full and complete knowledge of the life of the past but whatever sufficient materials are to be found the great law of progression from lower to higher types of life is seen to be paramount as an expression of the manner in which the world has attained the fullness of its existing population it need hardly be pointed out how powerfully the discovery of this progression in the past life of the globe supports the evolutionists views Instead of the sudden appearance of whole groups of high and unaltering organisms in the oldest formations, we are enabled to trace the gradual development of species. In the case of certain groups of animals, the evidence for the theory of development becomes singularly complete when we discover the exact course in which the evolution of new species by the modification of the old has taken place. Amongst the extinct trilobites and ammonites, for instance, the gradations between the various forms are often traceable with singular completeness the gaps between the different species being frequently supplied in the most exact fashion a notable feature in the life of the past consists in the observation that many extinct animals present characters which clearly belong to the young or embryonic condition of their type rather than to the full-grown state or to that seen in their existing representatives this fact constitutes in itself a singularly powerful argument in favour of the evolutionist views It shows that the progression of life in time past has been that which the development of animals today demonstrates. In other words, as the stages in development we see today repeat the ancestry of the developing animal, so these embryonic fossil forms represent the early and lower phases in the development of the species. The animal of today represents the cumulative advance of its race. It forms a striking confirmation of the evolution theory that we should discover in the debris of past epochs and in the lower life of these epochs the actual evidences of such advance. The conception of the evolutionist that the development of life is represented by a huge tree with its innumerable diverging branches and twigs is thus seen to fit the actual details of which his theory takes cognizance. The species of today represent the topmost or last developed leaves of the branches occasionally we are able to trace the continuity of past and present along the branch and backwards to the stem and even where this continuity is broken it is interesting to note how the evidences of its former existence became clear when in the shape of the lower and earlier fossils we behold the scars and lopped branches showing the lines wherein the development of the past had progressed the imperfection of the geological record has already formed the subject of a previous discussion we traced the absence of many of the connecting links between existing groups of animals to the non-preservation of the forms of the past as well as to the wholesale destruction of fossil histories which changes to the rock masses undoubtedly involved despite the effect of such sweeping physical revolutions the evidence for the existence of these links between existent forms which evolution postulates has been shown in not a few cases to be singularly complete It is necessary, however, to refer more exactly in the present instance to the actual causes which have rendered the fossil record, at the best, a fragmentary nature. There are thus, firstly, certain groups of animals which, from the very nature of their habits, we could not expect to have been well represented by fossil species. Such forms as insects and birds, for example, could rarely be expected to become readily fossilized their habits lead them to exist in the majority of cases far from water and the lightness of their bodies would largely preclude the probability of their frequent deposition amongst the debris of seas and lakes such deposition being of course the natural prelude to their preservation as fossils the comparative scarcity of bird and insect fossils fully attests the correctness of these deductions What is true of these two groups holds equally good in the case of most land animals. By far the greater proportion of fossils consist of the remains of marine or aquatic forms, which naturally exist in the most favorable situation for becoming readily entombed in the soft deposits which form the rock formations of the future. Another important consideration which has had a notable influence in demonstrating why we can never hope to construct a full and complete history of the past history of life development consists in the fact that only the hard parts of animals and plants are as a rule capable of being preserved bones teeth and scales along with shells and corals are the structures which most commonly constitute the fossils found in rock formations although in a few instances the footprints of animals the tracks of sea-worms and even the impress of a jellyfish have been discovered the vast majority of fossils consist of the remains of those animals and plants which possessed hard parts and structures if therefore we consider the enormous number of soft-bodied organisms which in this way can have left no trace whatever of their existence one all-sufficient reason for the imperfection of the geological record is not difficult to find whilst this record is thus imperfect and at the best fragmentary such evidence as we do possess regarding its nature will be found in no case to negative the conclusions to which evolution would guide us the whole of the evidence which geology has to submit in reference to the life of the past clearly points to the idea of progression and modification of living beings as the only hypothesis which can fully explain and connect the facts of cosmical history he who runs may literally read with pleasure and profit the story of life which is written in the records of the rocks and that story is one of evolution and modification of special creation the rocks tell no tale and life at large has nothing whatever to say in support of a tradition which belongs to the pre-scientific era of human thought it may lastly be pointed out how closely and intimately the phases of geological history parallel those of biological growth time was every phase of geological action was regarded as the result of a sudden catastrophe. Sudden physical revolution was but the counterpart of that special and independent creation of living beings in which the science of yesterday believed. Today, with wider and truer conceptions of both physical and biological history, both theories have been consigned to oblivion. As the uniformity of geological action supersedes the catastrophes of the past, so the evolution of life replaces the idea of its sudden creation. In each case, the supernatural unknowable action postulated by ancient belief is replaced by an efficient cause, the nature and direction of which can be investigated by mankind. From a detached, abrupt, and disconnected theory of nature, we have advanced toward a harmonious explanation of this world's order and towards a unity of cause, outside which, as the growth of science tends to show, No event of history, cosmical or human, can exist. End of Section 45, Chapter 16, Geology and Evolution, Part 2 End of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson